let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 41, page 552 of your Book of Praise. What does the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, teach us? That all unchastity is cursed by God. We must therefore detest it from the heart and live chaste and disciplined lives both within and outside of holy marriage. Does God in this commandment forbid nothing more than adultery and similar shameful sins? Since we, body and soul, are temples of the Holy Spirit, It is God's will that we keep ourselves pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste acts, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever may entice us to unchastity. After the sermon, we will sing together in response. From hymn 63 to stanzas 3, 6, 7, and 8. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, young people, in the last few weeks we have been dealing with the Ten Commandments from the point of view of our relationships with others. With the fifth commandment, we looked closely at our relationship with our parents, how that sets the pace for all other relationships. With the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, we looked at our relationship with each other as church community and the wonderful significance of that. Now this afternoon we are going to look at the seventh commandment and concentrate especially on our relationship as husband and wife. Again, this is a very important commandment. For if you have a good relationship as husband and wife, then you are a blessing not only to your partner, but also to your children and grandchildren. The blessings of a good relationship between husbands and wives translates into blessings throughout the generations. Good and strong marriages also make for a healthy church life and for a healthy society as a whole. It has an enormously positive impact. It's important to have a good marriage. Paul, however, calls the marriage relationship a profound mystery. What does he mean? What is so mysterious about it? Well, listen carefully as I I preach to you about the important and mysterious relationship between husband and wife. We will first look at the mystery of this relationship and the second place, the requirement of this relationship. First, we speak about the mystery of this commandment. No doubt you realize why the word mystery is used here. That word is taken right from the Bible passage, which we just read together. 
But what is so mysterious about this commandment? For when we speak about a mystery, we refer to something which is inexplainable. If we lose something and we have no idea what happened to it, then its disappearance is a mystery to us. Or if something happens for which we have no explanation, such as a peculiar phenomenon in the sky, then that is also a mystery to us. And the same thing is the case when when someone does something for no apparent reason, when they behave in an unexpected way. Their behavior then is a mystery. But is that the kind of mystery that the Bible is speaking about? If that were the case, then we would never be able to live in accordance with this commandment. For then we would be left guessing. We would never find the right answer. What then does this mean? Well, when the Bible speaks about a mystery, it does not refer to something that cannot be found out. But it refers to something that only a Christian, and with that I mean an active believer, can find out. To all the others it is hidden. It is also hidden to those who only accept the Old Testament as God's word, such as the unconverted Jews. For, you see, a mystery is something which, although present in the Old Testament, and which was not at that time yet clear, it still will be uncovered in the New Testament. For that is what the New Testament does. The New Testament makes some of those mysteries of the Old Testament, makes it all clear. In the New Testament, you find its full revelation, which is now given to the church, to us, so that you and I may have full access to that mystery. And that mystery of God is now within the reach of every believer, also within our reach. And so when Paul in in Ephesians speaks about the mystery of the true meaning of the seventh commandment, we know that we have something that is within our grasp. The New Testament reveals this. How? How does the New Testament unfold that mystery for us? Some will say that Paul is giving us a lesson in ethics. They say that Olivianus and Ursinus, the authors of the Catechism, do the same thing. They teach us a lesson in morals. You are to live chaste and disciplined lives, keeping yourselves pure, not engaging in all kinds of unchaste actions and remaining faithful to your wife, not to sin against the seventh commandment. If you do that, then you have have understood the mystery. But the problem with such an explanation is that then also unbelievers are within reach of grabbing hold of that mystery of the seventh commandment. For there are also people of the world, although they are becoming fewer and fewer, who are faithful to their marriage partners and who, generally speaking, lead chaste and disciplined lives. So that, then, is not the answer. Where, then, lies the answer? Well, the answer lies in the fact that we, as the Catechism says, body and soul are temples of the Holy Spirit. That is to say, the Holy Spirit dwells in our bodies as temples. 
When the Lord speaks to a true believer, to you and to me, then he speaks to a person who is under the dominion and guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes us different from unbelievers and from hypocrites. In teaching the apostles about the secret of the kingdom of God, Christ makes it clear how the believer is distinguished from the unbeliever. In Matthew 13, the disciples ask the Lord Jesus why he teaches in parables. And then he answers them, the knowledge of the secrets. And now he uses that same word here that is used in our text, mysteries. The knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. That is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And so the Lord Jesus has revealed it to all his disciples and to all those who believe. How? Well, he softened their hearts through the Holy Spirit so that their hearts are open and their minds are open to the Holy Spirit. They must allow the Holy Spirit to work in them and not to resist him. The Lord Jesus tells them that even though he may make things as clear as possible, as plain as the day, it will pass them by if they do not have the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And that is why the Lord Jesus says elsewhere in Matthew 11, verse 25 and 26, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things for the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. It is especially in connection with the Holy Spirit that sin against the seventh commandment is mentioned. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, the verses 18 and 19, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Thus far, Paul So, what does the Holy Spirit do exactly? Well, the Holy Spirit cleanses you, and he sets you apart from the world. The Holy Spirit applies to you the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, when Paul says in verse 32 that this is a profound mystery, then he says, I am talking about Christ and the church. The mystery of a good marriage, brothers and sisters, is revealed by the Lord Jesus Christ through the relationship that he has with the church. For what does the Lord Jesus do for the church? Well, Paul answers the question in the last part of Ephesians 5. He says that husbands must love their wives just as Christ loved his church and gave himself up for her. What a great sacrifice he gave. He gave his life for his bride. Within a Christian marriage, you also sacrifice for each other. You are not there to receive, but to give. 
you don't draw attention to your own needs, but you draw attention to the needs of your partner. That's very hard for us, isn't it? And that's something we fail at all the time. We are too selfish by nature. That is why Paul reminds us that Christ also cleansed the church by the washing with water through the word. Through the word you are made clean. For what did Christ say to the church? He told his bride, which is his church, how much he loves her and how he wants to remain faithful to her. He tells his church that he is always there for her. He tells her that he forgives her her sins in spite of the sins that she commits and in spite of her imperfections and flaws. Brothers and sisters, that's also how husbands and wives have to wash one another with their words. What does that mean? Well, that means you speak kindly to one another. Treat each other with respect. You speak words of love to one another. And the only way you can do that, if you know what the mystery of the Christian marriage is, you can only know that if you know Christ. Someone who is not in on the secret, in other words, someone who is an unbeliever, will always only do what is good in his own sight. He seeks pleasure and fulfillment outside of God. The fact is, however, that outside of of God, there is no true happiness. Earthly satisfactions are only temporary. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can fill the void in your life in such a way that you can be truly fulfilled. And so when it concerns the seventh commandment, we are not dealing in the first place with our ethical conduct. In the seventh commandment, we do not begin by saying that you must abstain from all kinds of immoral sexual practices, such as premarital sex, masturbation, fornication, homosexuality, adultery, and the like. And then to say that if you engage in these things, in these kinds of lifestyles, that then you will end up with all kinds of venerable diseases and possibly even AIDS. All that's true, of course. But that's not our starting point. We begin with the fact that we are, through Christ, body and soul, temples of the Holy Spirit. Once we understand that and what that means, once we really understand what Christ has done for his church, will we be able to understand the mystery of the seventh commandment? We come to the second point. In the scriptures, flesh and spirit are frequently mentioned as absolute opposites. In this way, the scriptures also speak about the natural man and the spiritual man. The natural man is the one who gives in to his natural base instincts. His concern is with the flesh. The spiritual man is the one who is dominated by the Spirit of God. There's always a great tension. There's a great struggle between the natural man and the spiritual man. It is a continual struggle to deny the flesh, to deny that what comes natural, and to submit to the Spirit of God. And Satan is very well aware of that. He knows that when God created man, he made it so that man would be able to procreate, bring forth children. And for that reason, God also created sexual feelings and sex appeal. 
He made it so that a man and a woman would be physically attracted to each other and physically enjoy each other. When God created Adam, he delighted in the woman whom God had fashioned from his own flesh. And the same thing was true for the woman. They delighted in each other's company. They delighted in each other's embrace. God blessed that. That's the way it was before the fall into sin. Then that caused no problems whatsoever. Adam and Eve knew how to use the gift of sex in a way that the Lord intended it. Something beautiful between a husband and his wife. After the fall into sin, the picture was quite different. Man went from being a spiritual man to a natural man. He wanted to serve the flesh rather than God. And ever since then, Satan has tried to use that beautiful gift of sex in order to draw us away from our Creator. Satan also knows that through husband and wife, the Lord gives the source of physical life. The Lord wants man to serve him in wholesome marriages and in wholesome family relations. Through faithful parents, he wants to build his church. And that is why Satan wants to break families apart. And sometimes he is successful. Sometimes that even happens within our own circles where one partner does not want to serve the Lord and persists in it. Then it is that partner that has broken the marriage, not the other one. Ephesians 5 verse 31 reminds us of the words of the Lord God in paradise. After he led the woman to the man, he said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. A man and a woman had to leave their father and their mother in order to become one flesh. Up until that moment, the most important relationship, apart from that of their relationship with the Lord God, was with father and mother. But once you get married, the relationship with your parents is no longer the most important one. No, the one whom you now cling to is your wife or your husband. That is your duty. He or she is now the most important person in your life. Don't break that commandment. When we think of sin against this commandment, we right away think of sexual immorality. However, the very straying away from one's spouse is already sin against this commandment. If, for example, other relationships take precedence over the one with your wife or with your husband, already then you sin. If you would rather be with your friends or other relatives rather than your spouse, then you defraud your spouse. Then you deny your husband or your wife your company. God instituted marriage so that a man or a woman would not be alone. And yet there are a lot of lonely people within marriage. And that is because the one has deprived the other of his or her company. Many marriages are unhappy ones because the lines of communication have broken down. And so there is no longer meaningful contact with one another, even though they may be living under the same roof. Both partners live in their own little world. They're not washing each other with the word. 
It's a recipe for disaster. For Satan exploits situations like that. For then you become lonely. And he pounds on the opportunity. For then he incites us to seek pleasure and companionship elsewhere. Satan is especially interested in you, young people. You are bombarded and overwhelmed by a sexually permissive society. That's the kind of world you live in. You are taught to look at the physical attributes of the opposite sex. Satan uses sex appeal, the sex appeal that God has created so that children may be born and so that you can enjoy a relationship with your wife or your husband to serve Satan instead. That is what he wants you to do. He wants you to serve him with your body and your soul. And he wants to suck you in. For example, our young people are led to believe by Satan and his agents that physical attraction is what is most important in choosing a partner. So let me ask you, young people, what is the first thing you look for in a partner? How attractive he or she is? How much money? Or how much education he or she has? Or how much fun the person is that you're with? Or do you look for a person who is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you look for someone who wants to serve the Lord with his or her heart and mind? Whose walk and confession in the Lord is such that it shows that the Lord God is very near and dear to him or her. Someone who wants to keep God's Ten Commandments. Someone who is humble. Who knows that he or she is a sinner. And who needs to be redeemed from their sins. What are you looking for? In choosing a partner. And thinking about whom you want to share your life with. Think about how you can serve God, not yourself. For you're not just choosing a partner, you're choosing a mother or a father and a grandmother and a grandfather. God bless us in the generations. Every marriage which does not seek the Lord Jesus Christ first is tearing down the church of God. For everything which does not belong to Christ belongs to the enemy there is no gray area here those whose partners outside of the church still have not grasped the mystery of the Christian marriage and therefore take to heart what Paul says to the Ephesians he said we read it together he said be careful then how you live not as unwise but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This commandment is not just given for the young people. It's also given for the older members. Also for people my age. It's given for everybody here in the pews. Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 3 through 5, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed 
because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Again, brothers and sisters, God comes to us with his warnings. He loves us that much. He does not want us to go astray. For our marriages have to reflect the relationship that we have with God. And that relationship is into eternity. And that relationship has to be right here already. Right now. What a strong warning he gives us against sexual immorality. Do you know what sin alienates one from the Lord more than anything? It is sexual immorality. For when we give in to our base desires, then the devil takes control over body and soul. And then we become enslaved to our sexual desires. In the end, our immoral behavior becomes so entrenched that we do not even know how to stop ourselves from impure thinking and handling. Immorality becomes second nature to us so that finally we are no longer temples of the Holy Spirit. And so in the end, the gift of sexuality, instead of a blessing, becomes a snare and a curse. So many children of the Lord have been lost to Satan because they did not know how to keep the gift of sexuality Strictly within the covenantal marriage bed. The catechism says that we must detest all unchastity from the heart. And it also says that we not only in the body but also in the soul are temples of the Holy Spirit. The catechism is speaking here about our most inner being. We must realize of ourselves that we by nature are corrupt and inclined to all evil. The Lord does not just want us to speak out against all kinds of secular morality as we see it all around us, but we first have to see it in ourselves that we too are inclined towards the same immorality. We must begin with ourselves. For there are many ways which you and I also sin against this seventh commandment, isn't there? The way we covet another woman or another man, the sins of the heart, and all the other immoral things we do, which we think are secret and hidden from the Lord. But nothing is hidden from the Lord. Being a Christian is much more than pious talk and indignation at the sins all around us. It is first of all an examination of ourselves to see how pure we are ourselves. The Catechism says that we must keep ourselves pure and holy. That means that we must separate ourselves from sin. It means that we do not allow ourselves to come even close to sinning against the seventh commandment. And so we avoid all situations where we are led to temptation. That means staying away from sexually explicit material, as you find it in the movies and certain magazines and on the Internet. Pornography on the Internet is pervasive. 
Stay away from it. It can enslave you. And it does something awful to you with inside of you. It also means that we do not associate or encourage people who treat the gift of sexuality in the wrong way by the way they speak or conduct themselves. Shun immorality. And in so doing, we have to be examples to our children. Our children are to learn from us as parents a healthy attitude towards sex. Sex education begins in the home. Children must be taught to be temples of the Holy Spirit. They must allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in their hearts. They must learn that true satisfaction is found in obedience to God alone. It is to be found in a close walk with the Lord God. And that's what they must see from their parents. And this Lord's Day, therefore, also has something very important to say to the single members of this congregation. Your lives can be fulfilled outside of the marriage bed. Your lives can be and are fulfilled in the fullness of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Paul was quite satisfied with his life. He was satisfied and fulfilled because he was full of the Holy Spirit. Paul restrained his sexual urges for the sake of the kingdom, and he worked for the kingdom. That is the opportunity that you have. And thankfully also these members, the single member of the congregation, use their talents for that. God blesses you in this way. The Catechism says that we must live chaste and disciplined lives both within and outside of holy marriage. Such a disciplined life within holy marriage means that also within marriage there are restraints. A human being is not an animal. The Lord has made it so that through his strength we can control our passions. The world says we can't. There's nothing you can do about premarital sex. You might as well allow it. And the Muslims say you have to cover up a woman completely because if they're not, you're going to go nuts. You're going to go after her. So that is how they want to control it. That is not how the Bible teaches us. We are not animals. We can restrain ourselves. Sexuality within marriage must not be a love for oneself, but it must be a love for your partner. And that means there has to be good communication. It means there has to be consideration for each other's feelings. Love within marriage is not seeking one's own pleasure, but it means to please your partner. It means that you are sensitive to each other. There must be a healthy atmosphere between couples. No tension. Children have to learn their attitudes towards the opposite sex from home. They are to see from their parents that they treat each other with respect and love. The youth of the church have to learn from their parents how to exercise discipline in their conduct of those of the opposite sex. Of course, joking and treating a woman as an object of lust, even in jest, is totally out of place. There's one thing that comes back to haunt you later. It is the sin against the seventh commandment. How David mourned that he sinned in this way. 
And that is why the Lord so strongly warns against sexual immorality in, one, in one's youth. If a young person learns to control his desires in his youth, it will bode well for him in later life. And that means that you as young people must restrain yourselves also in the use of alcohol. For note well that when the scriptures speak about sexual immorality, often at the same time the abuse of alcohol is mentioned. It's also the case in the letter to the Ephesians. He says there in verse 18, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And he says this within the context of sexual immorality. The one goes hand in hand with the other. Of course, we're all sinful human beings. We all have many struggles. We all have sinned against this commandment. And we continue to do that. All of us have our sexual past to deal with as well. And we're all guilty. And so a lot of you may be feeling guilty right now. I am too. But there is forgiveness, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. If we truly want to serve the Lord with our body and soul and fight against our sinfulness, then we may also know that the Lord will not hold our past against us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. And do you know what happens in a temple? Well, in the the temple of the Old Testament, a lot of scrubbing and washing went on there. The priests had to have clean clothes and clean bodies. And especially they had to dip their feet in clean water and they had to wash their hands as they served before the Lord for cleanliness inside the house of God, inside of the temple, is absolutely essential. Well, that's also how the Holy Spirit works in us. He cleanses you from the inside out. Isn't that wonderful? Inside the temple, you are also made ready for service. There you are instructed for your daily lives. That's where the Levites came with the law. Well, the Holy Spirit writes the words of God upon your heart. God's people are constantly under the instruction of God's word. At least you should be. That's why you also belong in this church. And you have to read God's word in your homes and in school and in men's or women's societies and catechism classes. And because of all that work inside of you by the Holy Spirit, you are made a new creature. You are clean again. And now your whole life, your whole outlook on life should also be different. You have a new purpose in life. You no longer live for yourself. You live for God. You live being aware of the work that God has done and continues to do inside of you. But you have to want to be cleansed. And that means we have to confess our sins. To want to be cleansed can be painful. But you have to believe. You have to believe in God. And that means you have to put your your faith into action. Faith means that we also must do our utmost to love God and our neighbor. You may not be passive. You have to be like Christ in that regard. The Apostle Paul describes in the chapter we read the most perfect marriage of all, namely the marriage of Christ and his church. He is completely faithful 
to his, to his bride, to you, to me, to his church. Never once has he strayed from us, has he? And through Christ, God shows his faithfulness to us, his love to us. And because of that, you and I, we too can love. You can love your husband. You can love your wife. That's the comfort you may have. Even if we stumble, we can rise again. We're no longer confronted with a mystery. The mystery is solved. It's now clear to us. He is faithful to you and to me, and therefore we must also be faithful to him and to our marriage partners, and we can, because God equips you, because God cleanses you, and God will bless you in the generations. Amen.